So it was the spring of 2009, and I was at a place called uh, Rocky Mountain House, the InterVarsity camp there. So I want you to picture a, an A-frame uh, cabin made of logs from the 1960s. They've got horse uh, rings outside. They're near the mountains. It's on beautiful Crimson Lake. And you can go canoeing and horse riding and mountaineering. It was a place I got to go every spring with our InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, this movement around the world that works with students in most countries. And so I was there with about 100 students from the Prairie Provinces and a number of my staff friends. And we were doing this thing we did and still do every spring, is we get together, we look at the life of Jesus, and we were in the Gospel of Mark that spring. And so uh, I was with InterVarsity for 12 years. But at that point, I was new. I'd been there for two years. I was just getting started. And uh, that spring, I was the dad of four very young kids, age nine, seven, five, and one. So that particular week in, I believe, May, I I packed up little Callan, little five-year-old Callan, to take some pressure off at home. The girls were in school, and we had a little baby. So Callan and I went to camp. Callan loves camp. All my kids have loved camp. And he he got to bring his Hot Wheel cars and hang out with students. And so I I was there trying to be a dad as well as a campus staff worker. And uh, it it was a great week. But if I'm honest, it was also a rough start to the week. Because as I said, I was trying to be a dad and a campus staff. And just so happened, I showed up a couple days late. And uh, I, I had this interaction with my supervisor. It wasn't great. Uh, He sort of called me out on something in the middle of of the staff room, and it was just awkward for everyone. And uh, so I just walked away from that and into that week, just a little disillusioned, discouraged. And so I was sort of encouraged um, that one of the next mornings, they said, morning prayer, 7 a.m. So, you know, I just was feeling like I'm looking for something, some kind of presence of God, something to, to cheer me up, to turn me around. But when I, when I dragged myself out of bed, came there at 7 a.m., I was a bit dismayed that the, the focus of that morning prayer was this thing called centering prayer. I had not really heard of or been raised in the contemplative prayer tradition. So I was alarmed to, un, to, to know that we were going to be sitting for 20 minutes in silence and solitude, and I wondered if I'd stay awake. But what happened with me and in me that morning is actually an experience that's still with me today, and it actually resonates with me, and it has some images that I still use in prayer. So in that, in that type of prayer, this contemplative, centering prayer, they invite you to do a couple things. Because if you're like me, uh, my mind would, would wander even one minute of silence. And so they give you these tools, and they say, you know, if, if that happens in your mind, um, use two things. There's, you can use a word, maybe it's love or peace. Anything that will just draw you to, to remind yourself that you're sitting in the presence of the Lord and, and you can, can let the distracting thoughts go. Another thing they invited us is to use our imagination. So maybe imagine you're standing on, on the shore of a lake, not hard to do when you're at camp, and imagine all those, those worries or concerns maybe floating away uh, on, the, on the water as you just then come back to center yourself in the Lord. So I did it. I, I was there, I, I was in the presence, and suddenly something started to happen. I was just having this, this, uh, this encounter, this spiritual and even visual encounter of just imagining all those cares and concerns sort of floating away towards the Lord. And then the time was up, 
the, the beeper, the 20-minute timer went, and I came back to reality and sort of stumbled upstairs with the students for breakfast, and, but I was feeling different. I was feeling refreshed. I was feeling seen and known and ultimately at peace. It was this fresh encounter that the Lord marked me with that day. So then two days later, I'm at camp. I'm playing with Cal, and he had this really cool Hot Wheels launcher, and we're, we're playing, and the, this peaceful feeling had stayed with me when my, when my supervisor walked up, and he sort of started awkwardly trying to apologize for that awkward thing that had happened, and I was, you know, well, thank you, but I then on, went on to try and explain how the Lord had done something refreshing in me through prayer. And so all that to say, what I took away from the experience is in the Lord's presence, he did something in me that had this lasting value. He actually interrupted some of the normal patterns, and I don't know if you face this, but when something like that happens, it just takes a while to to stew away, and, and yet the Lord had sort of leapfrogged me ahead, and I was still in this place of peace after an encounter with the Lord. And in my story, in that experience, I see a pattern that we're, we'll see in Scripture. And the pattern is this, that we are on a journey with God's Spirit where He's forming us through the challenges we'll face because He wants us to succeed. So as we dive into, we're going to look at the Scripture for a moment. We're meeting Jesus on a 40-day trip, like a, like a Sabbath, like you heard about last week from Nathan, like a sabbatical, a long 40 days alone in a wilderness place. No people. He's with the Lord. Jesus, as we, uh, we heard about uh, this trip uh, coming up, he grew up in, in that time, was known as the Roman province of Palestine. I've also been able to be there with Alan, actually. And I've been to Nazareth. I've been to the village where Jesus spent his time. And it would have been a dusty, nowhere's place. Uh, in the once great nation of Israel, but now a nation under occupation. And Jesus grew up as a builder with his father, Joseph, the builder, the tecton, the the builder of rock and stone and wood. So Jesus would have really been, uh, I think, a pretty buff guy. That's what I took away from my trip to Israel. Um, And he grew up not only doing that, but he would have grown up in a uniquely spiritually formative environment of of the Jewish people. You could say they had a rule of life or a rhythm of life. They would have had daily prayer, weekly synagogue, annual pilgrimage, all of these things that shaped them in, in the story of God, in the Torah, in the words of God to live it out. And uh, so we want to dive into this Jesus' story and see what we can learn as he's on his pilgrimage. Because at this point, he's, he's 30. He's, he's on the cusp of entering this vocational calling that the Lord has for him. So I'm going to turn us to the scripture, that first scripture you heard read, and read it again. And here's what it says. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. So, wilderness, tempted by Satan, ate nothing, hungry. Those are the words that sort of leapt out at me when I first read it in my preparation. So I wondered, is is this some kind of, you know, Bear Grylls sort of wilderness adventure, Jesus? 
Is that what's happening here? Denying himself. Uh, and if you've ever tried fasting, it's not easy. And, and 40 days of fasting, very difficult. But then I noticed a couple things. I noticed this. Jesus is led by the Spirit into the wilderness. So I looked up that word. And in Greek, it's aremos, wilderness. It stands for deserted, lonely places, places where you, you don't have support, you don't have people. And sometimes it's even used, Aremos is used for people, a deserted person, a lonely person. So then I, I imagine Jesus in the wilderness, maybe hot, dusty days, you know, gravel in his shoes, kind of wondering, wishing he had some company. I think of him on the, the dark, starry nights, probably get cold in the desert, maybe wondering, Lord, what am, I, what am I doing out here? What is this vocation going to be like? Because you see, the, the Aremos, the wilderness, is, is a place of stripping away, stripping away all that we, we've come in with, all that we need the Lord to expose. But it's also a place of formation, being remade into God's image. And so particularly during our life, during times of wilderness, God is going to invite us to practice his presence through prayer and the word. So the second thing I noticed in the scripture about Jesus is, again, Jesus is led by the spirit into the wilderness. And so that, that part is what I maybe missed on my first reading, led by the spirit. So it, in fact, it's not a place of emptiness. Jesus enters the wilderness full. He's, he's just been baptized in the River Jordan where, where we read in the scripture that it's like the Spirit of God descended on him like a dove. So he enters this wilderness full. He's in a difficult place where God's Spirit is helping him. He's not alone. While we don't know the content of what he may have prayed and thought about during those 40 days, we do know the object of his worship. It was God's very presence. It was God's spirit. And so this highlights the first thing I wanted to point out about these rhythms of prayer and the word is they connect us to God's presence, God's presence with us, not his absence. As we were singing about, it's about God's presence. Daryl Johnson, a local pastor who I know many of you are familiar with here at 10th, says something like this. He says, at the center of the universe, is a relationship. Have you ever heard Daryl say that? Every time I've heard him say that, it just, it just impacts me. At the center of the universe is a relationship. And what Daryl means is he's pointing to the scripture and he's describing that our God is in fact a relationship. It's this divine mystery of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And so as Jesus is in the wilderness, that's what he's entering back into, is, is that divine relationship. And if, if this divine relationship's at the center of, of who our God is and who we're made to be, it makes sense for us. It makes sense that relational yearning we have to be in community, to be seen and to be known. And so in fact, as in my story back in 2009, that's exactly what I needed coming into that formative place. I needed another touch of God's presence. So maybe you're here this morning, and maybe you have a, a dawning realization that things in your life feel a little wildernessy. I mean, certainly we've all been through it these last two years, a, a society-wide wilderness experience. So I, the questions we want to explore is, how are you allowing the Lord to form you? Uh, how are you journeying, perhaps with the Lord in prayer 
uh, and just this assurance that he is with you in wilderness places. So that, I want to go on now to the, to the second scripture where it's going to help us reflect on the word. So we've looked a little bit at prayer and we want to go a little bit to the word. So we come to Matthew's gospel, a continuation of the same story. And it says this, the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So not only has Jesus been invited for 40 days of formation and fasting and all that, but he's also been invited to face his greatest temptations by the tempter himself, the devil. And, and this, this language is it's unfamiliar and it's, it's unpleasant, right? And, and this scripture doesn't tell us all about it, uh, but it, but it does invite us to realize a couple things, that yes, there's a God of love in the universe and we can meet with him, but yes, there's also an enemy and Jesus is facing that. It's real and it seeks to bend us out of alignment, to deform what God is forming in us. And in that, that difficult, formative wandering, I see Jesus struggling with two key things that we're going to hone in on. Identity and security. Jesus is facing the temptation to question his very identity. And the goal of that enemy that's coming face to face with him is, is to twist and bend that sense of identity as God's child. If you are the son of God, the enemy taunts him. If you are. Have you, have you ever sensed that taunt, that, that inner voice? If you are. I know I certainly have. That, that sense of, am I, am I valid? Am I, am I worth something? Um, am, I, am I a fraud? If you really got to know me, would you peek behind the curtain, kind of like the Wizard of Oz, and just find that it's all bluster? I think it's a fear common to a lot of us, and, and here it's happening to Jesus, who for the all eternity, his core image has been son of God, as it says in the Colossians passage. The son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for in him all things were created. This is Jesus we're talking about. And yet, Satan says, if you are the son of God, so God's enemy is seeking to disrupt the most secure identity in all of creation. And it goes back to the, to the very same script that the enemy uses that we read in the very first pages of scripture in Genesis, which Ryan reminded us on, on New Year's Day here. The snake says to that first man and woman, did God really say? Did God really say? And it's, it's a question, and Jesus is facing it here again. Is God really good? Does God have your best in mind? Or do you have to fend for yourself in this world? So as we pray and as we read God's word and we seek to do what Jesus is doing, we will face this kind of temptation. And in society uh, as well aligns with this deformation uh, process uh, in many ways. So, for example, the, the phone that most of you have in your pocket, it's designed to capture your attention and form you in, in other images. And uh, the societal pressures that it then tells you about are designed to, to tell you, you don't measure up. You don't fit in. 
maybe you could if you, you did this or got that. And then there's the messaging, even specific to us who, who are walking in this Christian faith, the messaging that, oh, it's wrong. It's not just bad. It's really wrong. So, so that's, that's a lot of things that could take a shot at our identity. So if, if you're feeling uh, under sort of that kind of pressure, the scripture invites you to see that you're not alone. You're actually in good company. Jesus himself faced this. And yet the passage calls us to remember that God is with us, just like he was with Jesus. So uh, identity. The next one, similar to it, is security. And again, just to review what the scripture says, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. But Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So here what is happening is Jesus is facing the very real temptation to be his own provider, create his own security in an insecure world. So at the end of these 40 days, he's hungry. 40 days is going to push a human body to the very end of its limits. So the temptation to provide your own physical to uh, Uh, bread out of stones to rely on your own means would be very tempting. And it just made me reflect, wow, how, how have I, I really have been tempted to do this in my own life. So two things for me. One is my, my rental home situation. So we moved down here to Vancouver in 2011, as Jade alluded to. We were, we were homeowners in Alberta. That's what you can do as a young couple if you live in Alberta. Not so in Vancouver. So we, we have been over 11 years in three different rental homes. The first one was this amazing provision of, a, of an intervarsity family that, that gave us a really awesome place, a 1930s place out by UBC, a place where we launched the ministry. We had students over every, na- every weekend. It felt like every night sometimes. And uh, we had this wonderful place of community and provision. Our kids got into the good local schools. Our oldest daughter then got into the, the Bing Arts drama program, and the, each of the kids was tracking really well. And then, then the owner let us know, hey, you know, it's been three years, we're selling. We're sorry, but uh, they were very gracious with that. And uh, interestingly, that, that home, and along with our picture, got on the 2014 uh, front page of the, the National Post, because that home had sold for the highest price of a teardown home in Vancouver. So that was the property story in Vancouver in 2014, right? $3 million to tear down a house. So my, my wife, Clanza, as she, she does, she, she got on and looked for another property, and we found this really sweet home in North Richmond uh, on the street where we still live, near Costco. Uh, so, so this home was great, another home for, again, the four kids, good size, but again, the landlord, this, in this case, uh, they didn't live locally and from the beginning were really angling towards raising the rent and, and keeping the maintenance low and ultimately sort of got us out of there on the premise that their family was coming, but no, they didn't. They rented it to someone else. So uh, end of that second home, I, I'm, I'm out sort of jogging, running as, as I did. And um, I was really at the point of wanting to put like notes in like mailboxes, like, do you rent this home? Do you rent that home? <laughs> I mean, when you move in this city, they, they make your kids move schools. And I just didn't want that for our family. So I'm out for this run and, and I, I ran past the house, which 
in fact, had been a problem house in our neighborhood, right by the school. Just had this transient to it. It had uh, what we probably assumed was some drug dealing going on. It's just so I'd been praying for that house, <laughs> thinking like I don't know what the Lord is gonna gonna help a guy like me do. But then one morning on my run, I noticed all, all the junk and it was gone. It, it was empty, and there was an older man on the driveway. And so I just I just felt this really strong impulse to go talk to him. And so just awkwardly, like, would you happen to be the owner? And yes, I am. And so that day and then the next morning, we were talking and, and Clancy came along. And by, I think, the second day, we were, we were signing something with him. So the Lord had helped us find our current house that we're in, in, in a really cool way. And yet, after three years of that, uh, we're, we're, we're getting the signal of, you know, he won't rent to us in a long contract. So security, right? Rental home security. And, and along with that, finances. So last fall, I thought, you know what? Rent's expensive. What about a little side hustle? The stock market. The <laughs> stock market would be a great way to raise some rent. And you know, the best stocks to buy in 2021 were high tech, Tesla and such. Um, fast forward a year later, if you pay any attention to it, those same things are way down in the toilet. So me, a guy with, with no no business training and really no sense of it, kind of got drawn in by YouTube and, and put, put a not small amount of money. And um, after all that, I, I just find myself wondering with the Lord, did I, did I bend to the same temptation that Jesus is facing here to try and make bread out of stones? Both rental homes and finances have been a, a form of wilderness or a remos in my life, in our life. Both have ignited lots of attempts at prayer and, and lots of scratching in the word to find promises of security. And, and it's, it's been a journey. So as we, as we dip back and look at Jesus, what, and I wonder, so Jesus clearly could have. We see in his ministry, so why, why didn't he make bread out of stones? Jesus knows that though our daily needs are important, they're not central. Instead of self-provision, Jesus knows that it's going to be the very words of God that will be the very presence of God that will fill us with life, the very life that God intends. It will be that every word that comes from the mouth of God is life. So then it made me ask, okay, so, so what word is Jesus drawing on here? And I, I sort of did my reading and found out that uh, the Hebrew people uh, that Jesus descended from have, had a great leader, Moses. And, and a thousand years before Jesus, Moses made a speech to his people as they were in a wilderness entering the promised land. So I turned to Deuteronomy chapter 8, and it says this. Let me read it in full. Grab some water. Remember how the Lord your God has led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart. Whether or not you would keep his commands, he humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So here in the wilderness, Jesus remembers his origin story 
that this is his people's story, that they would have rehearsed probably around campfires at night or in, or in synagogue on the weekend. And likely, like many of the scriptures, would have been memorized by Jesus. So these are some of the words that are fueling him as he's in his wilderness, reminding him that it's not going to be the bread, it's going to be the bread giver who will focus and be his focus. So that's definitely one of the words probably rolling on in his mind. And then I wondered, would there have been another sort, because maybe in the 40 days, maybe some other word, some very specific word would have come into Jesus's life. So in my Bible, as as it's good to do, I I turned back a page. From Matthew 4, I went to Matthew 3. In Matthew 3 is when Jesus had been baptized. And in that baptism, as I alluded to, he received a very special word. Apparently, it was an audible word that all those gathered at the baptism could hear. And the very voice from heaven said this to Jesus. This is my son, whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. Man, these rich promises, I I can just see how they would have acted like bread feeding Jesus' soul, shoring up his identity, his security. My son, a family bond, whom I love, that reminder that we are all the beloved, uh, part of that triune relationship we heard about. And I'm well pleased with you. He he hadn't done anything yet. He'd grown up in a humble way. He hadn't ministered. With you, I am well pleased. So if you, if you long to hear a soul-level affirmation, I actually commend this word to you. It's one I remember a lot, and I commend to others, because this is for all of us. This is how the Lord sees us, his children. So he wants to remind us who we are and whose we are, that our very life rests in his hands, and he, that we are deeply known deep down. So with all that in play, what could we practice? What, what could we rehearse and, and do to get some of what Jesus has, this deep life? So I ask myself, and I want to ask you this morning, how, how's your rhythm of soaking in God's word or relating to God in prayer in order to glean this kind of real life? Are God's word and words deep in you when it really matters? In your wilderness moments, in your moments of deepest Uh, temptation. And so that lifelong invitation is what we're here for this morning, that lifelong invitation to gain life and to be remade. And it's actually, it's it's more than just reading some words or having them in our mind, but it's part of a a deep meditation of his word, practicing of a rhythm in a way that could actually change us. I want to read you something by Pete Gregg. Pete Gregg is the, the, the leader of the 24-7 global prayer movement. And in his amazing book, which I got to read this year, it's called How to Pray, A Simple Guide for Normal People. So I thought, great, that's a book for me. And in that book, Pete says this about, uh, about what Jesus is talking about here. He says this, but the Bible is more than inspired doctrinal book. It is also living and powerful. And as the writer of Hebrews says, a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. In other words, while we are reading the Bible, it is reading us, discerning the thoughts and intents of our hearts. We shouldn't just learn from the Bible, therefore. We should learn also to listen to it. It's a totally different way of approaching the text, 
While learning about God from the Bible requires Bible study, listening to God through the Bible requires prayerful meditation. So the Bible reads us, and true listening requires meditation. So, so let's look at that. What could be some rhythms that we could do, rhythms and practices? And as you know, practices take just that, practice. Whether you're uh, one of our toddlers here learning to walk, whether you're a kid riding a bike or a parent learning to parent or a new employee like a pilot learning to fly, we really hope those guys read the word, right, in those manuals. It takes practice. It takes practice to do good things well. One of the things I practiced during COVID, I, I became a runner. I'd always dabbled, but I, I sort of really was looking for something to sort of get my mind out of all that was going on, and I, I became a runner. Running, surprisingly, actually takes a lot of practice. Different shoes, different rhythms. I, I, I went too fast. I hurt a lot of muscles. I was using this app called Strava, trying to beat some of my friends, go faster. But uh, to be a runner, it actually requires a lot of practice. And what I found as I practiced it and adjusted my pace, it became a rhythm that's, till this day, very life-giving. And interestingly, I found out about something that I'm, I'm a very kinetic person, uh, where when I'm moving in motion out in creation, I actually, inside, I slow down. So, so running has become a place of prayer for me and, and even receiving his word. So this, it's like that prayer experience I had in 2009, except in motion. So the first practice I want to give you focuses on the word, and I'm, I'm going to use the a title for it called Gospel Contemplation, or you might say Scripture Meditation. So it's what I've tried to demonstrate a little bit here this morning as we've thought our way through Jesus' wilderness wandering. It's a slowed-down process of looking at his word, and imagining yourself in the story, looking for entry points where, where you could picture yourself and you could say, well, if, if I was a follower with Jesus on the mountainside as he is feeding, what would I do? Or if I was a follower in, in the boat with him during the storm, how would I, how would I react? So this is what uh, scripture meditation or gospel contemplation invites us to do. Um, I've had a lot of help to do this from a couple things, and one of the sources has been from an app called Pray As You Go. So it's usually the thing I, I put in my ear if I'm going on that run or, or some mornings just, uh, just in the living room, just sitting or laying down. And what I find is that it, it guides you through a scripture reading, which it repeats twice. And it, then it, the, the best part for me is it just asks you questions, uh, a really probing question that springs out of the scripture. And I just, it usually stays with me through the day. And, and I ask myself questions and, and I'm ruminating. So I've found in, in the middle of a busy life, which I'm sure you, many of you have, whether you're a parent or a, uh, an employee or, or a student, there's many ways to be busy. An app like this is just one way to let scripture get into your life, to, to fit it into the cracks of your other day and to become a contemplative person. So that's the first one, gospel contemplation. The second one is a practice of prayer. And I actually want to invite us to a very simple type of prayer. It's the prayer that Jesus gave his followers when they asked him, Lord, teach us to pray. And I've actually outlined it on a bit of a, a bookmark. So it would be the time to pull that out. You might have gotten it as you walked in. I'm, there's probably more at the back. And um, 
Again, from Pete Gregg, apparently some of the earliest um, instructions to the early church outside of the Bible, in these writings after the Bible, instructed them to pray this prayer three times a day. And so praying daily, morning, uh, midday, and evening would, would have been a habit by the early church and is still a habit by many churches around the world. Um, and so I, I adapted the, this sort of morning Lord's Prayer, midday praying for people, and evening ending our day with thanksgiving. I adapted this from a church called Bridgetown Church in Portland. And then on the back, I, I threw a number of resources that I've experienced and have really enjoyed, including some apps. Uh, Pastor Ken's book is on there. All great things that will help you uh, in, sort of internalize this rhythm. Pete Gregg summarizes it like this. He says, when you try to pray, if you pray daily, here's what you might experience. That after prayer, your outer issues likely wouldn't have changed. You'll still have bills to pay. You'll still go to school or to work or have relationship issues. But your life will be framed by the perspective that all of life is being held by our powerful, loving Father. So praying this, praying this daily Lord's Prayer has been a very meaningful uh, thing to me this, this fall. And this fall, 2022, came after a year of some very high highs. Uh, as a pastor in a local church, I had the chance to, to uh, do the wedding ceremony of three good friends that I've known through years of InterVarsity. My own parents in July celebrated their 50th, and they're healthy and well. Clans uh, and I celebrated our 25th, in August. And then in September, Kiara and Max got married. So it's been this amazing year and summer of celebration of new life and, and marriage. And yet this fall also came after a year of low lows, like never before. Um, the, the lead pastor of uh, the church where I work, Granville Chapel, uh, Pastor Andy, uh, was diagnosed a year ago with serious cancer. Some of you may know him or have heard of him. So as a community, we were walking through a valley of helping a community make sense of why, why does this happen to a, a healthy 62-year-old athletic guy um, looking for hope, um, filling in a lot of extra roles in, in church, just trying to make things work in a, in a time of COVID as well. So then August, uh, so between, between my anniversary and, and Kiara's wedding, August 28th came along and Andy passed away. Uh, after the wedding, then five days later, there I was speaking at Andy's funeral. So fall 2022 was supposed to be exciting. It was supposed to be the relaunch of church, the, the relaunch of sort of normal life. But I was sapped. I, I was tired. I was uh, in pain. And I experienced deep questioning of my identity and even my vocation as a pastor. I needed something to interrupt the patterns because uh, I found myself going to bed angry, waking up at 4 a.m. with angry and, and confused. And so I found, sometimes slipping out of my bed at 4 a.m. or going downstairs or just laying there, that this, this Lord's Prayer, these words of Jesus, just gave me an anchor. It became the refrain for, for many things I learned to pray this fall. So rather than feel alone and abandoned, I prayed, Our Father who art in heaven, Rather than fret about my future and the bread I needed to survive, give us today our daily bread. 
rather than getting stuck in my frustrations and some of the, the painful interpersonal things. Forgive me for my sins as I forgive those who sin against me. So I really want to commend daily prayer to you and, and specifically the Lord's Prayer as, a, as an anchor that it could become for you. I, I hope it does. One of my favorite ways to pray this also this fall has been with my daughter Treya as we drive to school and we, we're learning the Lord's Prayer together. So in conclusion, as we enter 2023, we, you, I, we will face struggles in the wilderness of identity and security. But as I reminded you at the outset, I want to remind you again, we are on a journey with God's Spirit where he's forming us for these challenges we'll face. Why? Because he wants us to succeed. Back in 2009, I, I, I needed help to, be, to become a campus minister, to, to be a good dad to my kids, good husband to my wife. And this fall, as I mentioned, God has been continuing to interact with me to, to be all that I need to be. And even for this week, for example, something unexpected happened. I mentioned my son. We, we got a call. He was in an ambulance on the way to a hospital after a workplace accident. I didn't pray the Lord's Prayer, but my heart just leapt out with the, probably the most basic prayer there is, help. So as we pray, as we become people of prayer, God gives us that reflex to run to his presence in time of deepest need, usually in the, the small, holy moments that are our ordinary lives, filling us with the peace of the very presence of our Creator. So if you would, as we finish, I would actually like us, it'll be on the screen, and it's on your bookmark, um, to pray the Lord's Prayer. We'll all say it together, so let me start us off. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we also forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Amen.